Thank you, choir. Thank you, Justin, for your leadership. Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Luke? Luke chapter 24. And as you're turning there, I can't help but reflect on the difference in this Easter and the one last Easter. One year ago, no churches that I know of were able to gather. If you're like me, you're in a completely different state, a different phase of life. And yet the Lord and His goodness and graciousness has allowed us to gather this day to celebrate His resurrection. And we're thankful for that. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be reading in verses 1 through 12. If you found the text, and if you're able, whether in body or in spirit, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at deep dawn, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and the writers of Scripture, and your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us acknowledge Him as Lord. We ask that you, by your spirit now, will give us deeper insight, encouragement, and faith and hope through the proclamation of this Easter gospel. We ask this in the name of your Son, and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin looking at the first verse of chapter 24, we're reminded that we're coming in in the middle of the story. That little three-letter word, that little conjunction, the word but, reminds us that we have come in at the end of the movie, so to speak. Luke, the gospel writer, has been telling a grand story beginning all the way back in chapter 1, verse 1, and now that story is reaching its climax. And so to properly understand chapter 24, we have to go back and look at the end of chapter 23. In the same way that we can't rightfully separate what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can't separate that from what He's done for us in the resurrection, we can't separate this story from what was happening at the end of chapter 23. Chapter 23 ended in silence. Jesus of Nazareth had been executed. His followers had fled. One man, Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible tells us a good and righteous man, he came and 
he took the body of Jesus. And this good and righteous man took the body of the man, the only man who was ever truly good and righteous. And he laid him in a tomb. And there were a group of women who were watching. They had followed Jesus from Galilee. They walked right alongside with the disciples and they knew about what Christ had done and who He was. And they watched. They made a mental note of where this tomb was, making plans to return. But the chaos of the cross and the busyness of the burial ceased as all activity in Jerusalem yielded in silence to the Sabbath. You see, God had commanded His people to cease their labors on the sixth, on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. And as God's people obeyed God's command to rest, that same God who had given that command, the same God who on the cross had cried, It is finished! That same God rested in a borrowed tomb. That was the end of chapter 23. But now we come to chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, at deep dawn, it literally means, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. These women, on the Sabbath, they rested. But on Sunday, they do not rest. They arise early, and they take these spices that they have prepared, and they head to the tomb. Why are they doing this? Because they're expecting to find Jesus' dead body. They're not expecting to find an empty tomb. They're not expecting to find the risen Lord. They're taking spices because they believe that He's dead. Mark tells us that as they were going to the tomb, these women were discussing among themselves, how will we find someone strong enough to roll away the stone that has sealed the tomb? That's the question on the minds of these women, and the other Gospels tell us how the stone is rolled away. But Luke doesn't give us details. He simply tells us that the stone is rolled away. He says there in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away, but they did not find the body of the Lord. They found the stone rolled away, but they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And what is their response to this? Their response is not, the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. They are not filled with joy. They're shocked. They're surprised. The text says they're perplexed. They are puzzled. They're confused. They're anxious. They're upset. This is not what they expected to find. They were perplexed about this, and while they were standing there, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now, here in verse 4, Luke simply says, two men. But as you continue to read Luke 24, you understand that these are not two ordinary men. These are not just mere mortals. These are indeed angels. Angels are speaking to these women, and they're standing there in dazzling apparel. It's significant that angels both comfort and confront these women. Because you see, angels bookended the ministry of Christ. 
You remember back in December when we looked at the incarnation narratives from the Gospel of Luke. And as the angels came and appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, what does the text say in the, in the King James? It says, The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. They were greatly afraid. They were terrified. Angels announced the incarnation. Angels announced the resurrection. And the response to the angels is the same both times. The recipients are terrified. They're afraid. They're frightened. And these women bow their faces to the ground. But these men standing there in dazzling apparel, their, their apparel, their outfits, what they are wearing, is pointing us both forward and backwards. You see, it's pointing the reader of Luke's Gospel, it's pointing them backwards to Luke chapter 9 when Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. And for just a brief moment, Peter and James and John, they saw the Lord in all of His glory. And so the reader of Luke's Gospel will remember this. But it's also pointing forward because Luke didn't write just the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, we see the Lord on the Mount of Ascension. And yet again, He is in dazzling apparel. The other Gospels tell us that these angels are in clothing that look as if they are lightning. They are as white as snow. These angels are standing there in dazzling apparel. And what is their message to these women? They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now let's be honest. Why are they seeking the living among the dead? Because they're not seeking the living. They're seeking Jesus, whom they believe to be dead. You don't look for the living in a graveyard. But that's what they're doing. They're seeking the living among the dead. And here's what the angels say to them. He is not here. He has risen. All that Jesus had predicted has now become reality. Early in Jesus' ministry, He told the Jews, He said, If you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. And He wasn't talking about the physical, literal temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about His body. He said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. Just as in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus comes across that 12-year-old girl who has died, Jesus takes her by the hand, and just as Jesus raises her up, now Jesus too is raised up. Just as in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and He encounters this 5-year-old little boy who is convulsing under the power of demonic force, and He can't control His convulsions, just as Jesus takes Him by the hand and raises him up. Now Jesus too has been raised up. Just as Jesus stood at the tomb with Mary and Martha and he commanded with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now Jesus too has come forth. He is not here, but he is risen. All of the Old Testament prophecies, all of the miracles, all of the teachings, they have all found their climax, their fulfillment, their intended significance in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is not here. He has risen. And the angels continue speaking to the women and they say, Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. We see the names of these women later in the passage. 
We know a little bit about different ones of them. They come from various backgrounds. We understand that they traveled with Jesus. You see, we often think that it was just Jesus and the Twelve, but when you read the text carefully, all throughout Jesus' ministry, there are lots of other people around. And these women followed along with Jesus in His ministry. Some supported Him out of their wealth. Some were healed by Jesus. And depending on which Mary is being referred to, one of these Marys might actually be the mother of our Lord. You see, these women had diverse backgrounds, but they had one thing in common, and that is that they all were followers of Jesus. And as they went along and they heard the same teachings that the disciples heard, they had heard this message, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. This was Jesus' message to His apostles, to the disciples. The Gospel of Mark makes it very clear. Jesus went through this cycle that Mark tells us about three times where Jesus would tell the disciples this message, essentially what the angels say here. And each time Jesus would give more detail, but each time it would become very clear that the disciples did not understand. They especially did not understand this part about rising again. The message of the resurrection never moved past their ears and settled in their minds. It never captured their hearts. Even though Jesus had told them, even the night before His crucifixion, He said in Matthew 26, 28, After I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But they still didn't understand. They weren't expecting a resurrected Savior. They were seeking not the living, they were seeking the dead. But what does verse 8 say? As these angels reminded them of what Jesus had said, it says, And they remembered His words. They had been there. They had heard Jesus' teaching, and they remembered His words. Now, they still didn't understand. They didn't understand at all. In fact, in just a few short weeks, the Holy Spirit would come upon them at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit would indwell all believers since the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit would lead them into truth, just as Jesus had promised. That was one of the purposes of the coming of the Holy Spirit, was to lead them into truth until the day that their faith would be sight. These women began to remember His words, but they still did not understand. They're not the only ones who have that experience. Later on this same day, this Resurrection Sunday, in Luke 24, Jesus is walking along on the road to Emmaus. And He sees two disciples, and they are distraught. And as He talks with them, the text says that beginning with Moses and the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. They began to slowly understand, but they did not understand at all. Later on that same day, later in the evening, Jesus appears in the upper room to the disciples who are present. And the text says in Luke 24, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This is the result as the women begin to understand. They begin to remember the words that Christ has told them. And brothers and sisters, we must remember the words of Christ. But we cannot remember what we do not know. 
We cannot remember what we do not know. This is why even as we began this new year in January, our first Sunday, our emphasis was on our relationship with God through Christ. That we individually and corporately, we must abide in Christ. His words abiding in us and our words abiding in Him. We cannot remember what we do not know. Let's be like these women and remember the words of our Lord. As a new day is dawning in Jerusalem, a new day is dawning in the hearts of Mary Magdalene and of Joanna and of Mary, James's mom, and the others. And what do they do as they begin to understand the significance of the resurrection? They go and tell. They can't keep it to themselves. Verse 9 says, Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These women, as they began to understand the importance, the significance of what Christ has done, the text says that, one, they bowed their faces to the Lord. They worshiped God because of what He has done through Christ. And then they go and tell. They can't keep it to themselves. Shouldn't we do likewise? As we continue in the text, we see in verse 10 these names that I've already mentioned. Now, what is the significance of these names, the names of these women? As many of you probably know, that in the first century, women were not allowed to testify in court. Their testimony was not believed. It was not valued. They would not have made good witnesses. Not so with Christianity. This is why Christian apologists have pointed out from the very early centuries of the church that this is not the kind of story that you would make up. If you were making up a story like this, you would not have women being the ones to find the empty tomb. Women would not be the first witnesses to the resurrected Lord. Not if you were making it up. But the Scriptures tell us explicitly that it wasn't just some women. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James, and others. These women are the first witnesses to the resurrection of our Lord, and they go and tell the apostles. But how are they received? Look at verse 11. These words seemed to them an idle tale. An idle tale. This is a term that medical writers would have used to describe the wild talk of delirious and hysterical patients. That's how the apostles, that's how the men received these women. They, these words seem to them an idle tale. What are we to make out of this? What are we to understand about this idea that women are the first witnesses to the tomb, but the men don't believe them? Well, as we've already mentioned, we are not the first Christians to interpret the Scripture. We are not the first Christians to, to come along and, and celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And so I have a, a helpful statement from one of our forefathers in the faith, a man named Augustine, a church father. And here's what he said about this situation. He said, How very unhappy is the human condition. When Eve related what the serpent had said, she was listened to straight away. A lying woman was believed, and so we all died. But the disciples didn't believe women telling the truth so that we might live. If women are not to be trusted, as some would say, then why did Adam trust Eve? But if women are to be trusted, then why did the disciples not trust the holy women? So in this fact, we have to reflect on the goodness of the Lord's arrangements. Because this, of course, was the doing of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it should be women who were the first to report that He had risen again. Humanity fell through a woman, 
and humankind was restored through a woman. A virgin gave birth to Christ, and a woman proclaimed that He had risen again. Through a woman, death, and through a woman, life. But the disciples didn't believe what the women had said. They thought they were raving, when in fact they were reporting the truth. This is what one of our forefathers in the faith, Augustine, said. And you see how he ties together the Scriptures all the way from the beginning in the Garden of Eden with the fall of Adam and Eve to the fact that women are the first ones to see the empty tomb. They're the first ones to understand that the tomb is empty. And they go and report it and they are not believed. That is, until verse 12. Look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now the Gospel of John tells us that Peter and John were both running together. And John being younger, he arrived there first. But Peter, being bolder, actually went inside. Luke tells us here that Peter stooped and looked in. That could be an indication that the opening of the tomb was actually small, and so Peter has to stoop to look in. But it could also just emphasize the fact that Peter didn't just glance in the empty tomb. Peter took a good, long look. And what does he see? Not the body of Christ. He sees the linen cloths by themselves. He sees only the grave clothes there, not the man he has followed for the last three years. What does Peter do? Peter went home marveling at what had happened. Peter went home marveling at what had happened. And as we read the rest of the New Testament, as we read the rest of the Gospels, we understand what Peter did not understand. Peter went home marveling. Peter went home amazed, but Peter still did not understand at all. Just like the women, in a few weeks, Peter would receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He would receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And like every believer since the day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. We have the completed canon of Scripture, the Bible. How much more should we marvel at the glorious resurrection of our Lord? We've seen multiple responses to the resurrection in our passage this morning. What will yours be? Some of you are listening to this, but you scoff at the resurrection. Some of you believe it to be just as delirious and ludicrous as the disciples did at first. You are seeking the living among the dead. You search for life and your money and your health and your pleasure and in your possessions. But has this last year taught us nothing if that these things are fleeting? That everything in this life is fleeting. That all of life is vanity and a vapor, as the Scriptures tell us. My message to you is the same as the message of the angels. That the Son of Man must must, must be delivered over to the hands of sinful men because of your sins and your sins and your sins and my sins. And He was delivered over as our substitute in our place. He died the death that we deserve. And because of His resurrection, we can have life and life abundantly. If you haven't trusted Christ, I plead with you, I urge you, turn to the resurrected Lord. Others of you are listening, and you, you have the same problem that the women had. 
The women loved Jesus, but they misunderstood Jesus. They loved Jesus so much, they were willing to follow Him and anoint His dead body. But the problem is that that Jesus was gone. He is not dead. He is risen. And perhaps you recognize from hearing God's Word this morning that you are following after a Jesus in your own image. You're not following the Jesus of the Scriptures. Would you remember His words by knowing His words through the Scriptures? Would you turn to the resurrected Christ? He is more lovely and more worthy than any Christ in your own image. Brothers and sisters, saints of Ramah Baptist Church, I hope that you are encouraged and reminded that our hope is grounded in a historical reality. The resurrection of Jesus Christ really, truly happened. It is not some grand conspiracy theory. It was not a hoax. It was not merely a spiritual resurrection. Jesus Christ really, truly lives. Paul tells us that if there were no historical basis for the resurrection, then we are without hope. But the historical reality of the resurrection is not the end of the story. Responding to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in faith does not merely secure you eternal life, although it does absolutely that. But it does more than that. It has an ongoing effect in your daily life. Because we serve a resurrected Savior, you can take heart. You can be encouraged this day, this week, no matter what comes your way, no matter what happens in the world around you. And so I want to quickly give you four results of the resurrection for you to ponder this week. This is by no means exhaustive, but I want to remind you of the ongoing effects of the resurrection. Why we celebrate each week when we gather to worship and we declare that Christ is risen. Number one, because of the resurrection, death and the grave will not have victory over you. Due to this pandemic that we've endured over the last year, sickness and death are a very real presence in the lives of so many. Perhaps you are burdened down with fear over your own health. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that being a Christian guarantees that you will not die of the coronavirus or of any other illness. And I'm not saying that just because you're a Christian guarantees that a vaccine will or will not work. What I am saying is that I can guarantee, based on the authority of God's Word, each of us will die one day. But the grave will not have victory over us because of what Christ has done. Because of the resurrection, the grave is not the end. Death's sting is defeated. As Justin read from, uh, for us from 1 Corinthians 15, death will not have victory over us. Secondly, because of the resurrection, you are approved in Christ. The resurrection vindicated Jesus. Even though the authorities had condemned Him, you are approved in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 makes this clear, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Because Christ was raised from the dead by His Father, this demonstrated that the Father approved the sacrifice of the Son. There is no condemnation of Christ, and there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. 
Christians, no matter what the world says about you, even if the world attempts to cancel you or to cancel the things that you believe are dear and true, you are not condemned. You are approved in Christ. Thirdly, because of the resurrection, Christ is with you. Following the resurrection, Jesus gives His famous commission in Matthew chapter 28. We've studied it as a church, but sometimes we still overlook that promise at the end of the Great Commission where Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are not alone. You may feel alone some days. You may be walking through tough, difficult valleys right now, but you are not alone. Christ is with you because of the resurrection. And fourthly, because of the resurrection, you can have communion with God. As Christ's body hung suspended between heaven and earth, the veil that hung in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, God's presence, from the rest of the world was torn in two. Because of Christ's perfect sacrifice on our behalf, we now have access to God. We have communion with God. We have fellowship with God. And we picture this out when we gather at the Lord's table. We picture the communion that we have with God and with one another. And in just a few moments, we will reenact, we will act out this picture of the communion that we have with God. But it is only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How will you respond to Jesus' resurrection? We're going to pray. We're going to have a few moments of silence, and then I will pray for us. And then Justin will lead us in a hymn of response. If you have questions about what it means to trust Christ, I will be here at the front. I would love to talk with you about that. You can pray at the front. You can pray in your seats. I will be here afterwards standing outside. I would love nothing more than to talk with you about what it means to trust Christ as our Savior. And brothers and sisters who have already trusted Christ, be encouraged because of what Christ has done for you through the power of His resurrection. Let's pray.